Hi everybody and thanks for joining episode 11 of Impunity Files. So I'm just documenting my journey. Today is day seven back in El Paso and it's been majorly just trying to get a lot of the final paperwork into the U.S. District Court which you know I'm overcoming complete ridiculous obstacles. Uh, I was told when I first got here that I was eligible for victim compensation after everything that has occurred. But as we move forward, I want to impress that I'm posting this update to show how corruption affects the flow of justice and victim restitution and every and the process of just trying to get through the system. Yesterday was a ridiculous day of running errands trying to get some paperwork into the uh, district courthouse. I'm very lucky that they are allowing one aspect to move forward. So as long as we keep moving forward, progress is great. It's slow. It's agonizing. I'm not going to lie. I've been uh, ran out of resources entirely, and it's extremely difficult to drive through this town and be an hour away from my house that I cannot go back to due to uh, uh, corruption involved with that. And so this whole week has been trying to get on the ground, talk to people, let people know I'm back, and trying to find my father's body. So yesterday I was, I went into an office, and I'm not gonna name anybody, and I was told, well, here's where you need to go turn this in, and this will help you with your investigation, this will help you with your legal fees, it'll help you with X, Y, and Z, which is great. And then I'm told I have to turn that into the Attorney General's office. But here's the big misnomer, and I think this is the biggest fraud upon the people, which is, if there are state actors involved, like there is in my case, the Attorney General will, their mandate is to first and foremost protect the people of the state actors. They're the attorney for the state actors. In other words, law enforcement or any of these individuals that are involved that are employed with state agencies. So I said, well, what's the point of turning this in? Because we both know who's implicated in my lawsuit. Therefore, they will not be able to process this Victims of Crime Compensation application for $10,000 or whatever. And she just looked at me with this face of, well, yeah, that's kind of true. I said, so who really is the attorney for the people when we need assistance? So when there's corruption involved, um, the, the, the corrupt officials will have an attorney, but this leaves me back to square one, which is putting all of my faith in the uh, uh, magistrate at the U.S. District Court. And because I do not believe all people are bad, I'm holding out hope that that will turn out well. However, as I was running an errand yesterday and driving back into town, I was uh, mentioning to the driver, you know, this is, this is really difficult to drive through this town because my father's gone. My last parent is gone. I can't go home. And El Paso's always been a place that I've come in really to, you know, either help with my family home uh, run errands for my parents and it occurred to me like I'm in El Paso which is kind of like for people who have ranches outside of town it's just a shopping place that's it and it occurred to me I'm like this is I can't go home this is not me running errands for mom and dad and then go back and have coffee and enjoy the peace and quiet I'm in a shelter because I can't go home and the first thing I did day one when I first got 
in was I contacted a local um, representative in a different district because I've contacted people in districts. No one wants to talk about my missing father. And it is deeply disturbing to me. And at this point, it's very obvious all the people that are involved and how this has played out. And again, this took 20 years for this whole thing to play out. All of the things that left the family and associates scratching their heads, why certain things weren't getting funded, why projects were being stonewalled, why, why, why. Uh, when the, a lot of the work that uh, I put out is certainly uh, received well, I'm often not credited, but um, there's little things that made me take to online talking about equality and entrepreneurship, equality and business, equality, and just sometimes just the basic uh, right to exist. And so as I find myself having to uh, talk to people about this, this is a highly complex case which is really boiled down to parallel construction and has given me a keen interest moving forward in taking on parallel construction cases because based on some of the attorneys that have represented these cases that I've spoke to, um, many of them say that there's years of parallel construction before these attorneys get these cases. They're very complicated to reverse engineer and research and compile evidence for. Um, there's a lot of roadblocks. Often there's uh, government people involved with these cases. So when we start talking about finding solutions or equal access to justice, there seems to be the scales that are really um, out of sync and, and, and outweighing some things. So one of the things I'm juggling here is because I'm, I'm down here and I'm, I'm trying to document. And so um, there's really, <laughs> there's really not anything that's uh, video quality right now. It's the same uh, pictures of mountains, which I'm documenting over on TikTok, which is a great new platform, by the way. And, uh, but one of the things I'm trying to do is, uh, one of the decisions in the, uh, the uh, um, district court here will be uh, decided upon by the 30th and then I have a feeling I'm going to be really waist deep in uh, the next level of discovery. So I'm fine tuning up some of the documents for that. I am trying to put out a, the next book in the series of the Cosmos Initiative here over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be an e-book. It will be submitted to a couple of publishers, um, but I don't know if it'll get picked up. Um, so until then, I'm publishing over on Smashwords, which is fine and great. Digital's great, it's green, um, and it's accessible. So, uh, but the major thing I'm trying to work with right now is kind of, do I have time to fit in a little adventure? And I'm in the process of locking down a 10-day tour of the U.S.-Mexico border and they have this amazing program which basically is to build awareness and empathy for the struggles that these individuals have um, trying to you know cross the border and I think what we're really looking at um, and I'm just kind of pulling up some of the conversations that I've had this week and documenting them is I was I had a conversation and they were saying well there was past presidents who have done this about immigration and this immigration and I'm like but you make my point there's been 
several decades of failure here as far as trying to address what to do with uh, the U.S.-Mexico border. And which is what I'm trying to say is what has been done before is failing and now we have concentration camps on the border. We have border tensions, which I feel are unnecessary. And again, with my work talking about this technology-based cultural shift and us introducing flying vehicles, and I'm not gonna be too repetitive for those of you following this work, it would be kind of mundane for me to go through that again. All of you can go back through Justice Speaks Up and the other podcasts that I've used to document some of this work and the other book that's available on Smashwords. But um, what we're really needing to do here is is look at the real need here. If there is a history of failure, I mean, right, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. But the individuals and United Nations, everyone who deals with immigration issues, they're really being having their feet put to the fire as far as how is technology changing how we have historically addressed uh, borders. And if you look at Europe, Europe finally uh, said, you know what, we're going to keep open borders, but here are some of the criteria. And some of these unsafe countries have to have this special passport to pass through, and you have to make sure that they're returning to their home country. So Europe is a good place to lean on as far as talking about open borders. I think they need to have more of a voice involved in the United Nations a glo- and, and start thinking like a global community because technology is going to have us be a global community whether we like it or not. Technology is forcing us to evolve and so one of the things I was saying is that uh, well for a good example I had a conversation and they were talking about how when there's people at the Mexico border and uh, someone hops the fence, you know, do they think that because they hop the fence they should get in line of someone else? And I said, well, you know, I asked, I said, have you ever had to go into asylum and leave your country behind? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, I have. And when, it, what's most frightening is not the journey from when you leave your home, it's, it's when you get to the border. And if you have a legitimate reason to be fleeing for safety, there is, uh, I know I experienced it when I first went in through um, uh, Peace Bridge in the Canadian border. I knew I couldn't go back. Um, You know, I just survived a horrible assault and an assassination attempt. And trying to safeguard my research as well. And... uh, there is that fear of rejection. It's the fear of being sent back to the hell you just came from. And so I told him, I said, you need to understand the why. Why did he jump that fence? It, it, whether, or not he, whether or not he warrants to be put in front of another person is no longer the argument. The argument is, uh, the, or the analysis is, why did he jump the fence? It's the adrenaline rush, it's the fear. That is what we need to focus on, is that the fear these people have, the basic humanity of this. And for too long, we've gone by the numbers and uh, things that I don't feel really matter. And so if these people are coming for safety, education, healthcare, work, then provide something to them. Because if we're opting in to the United Nations belief of a Declaration of Human Rights, then 
we need to start looking at things from a global view. And I believe if we can start looking at things as global citizens, as a global community, I think we will see that in 10 years time, just how minute this border discussion is, because it's gonna be irrelevant. So the arguments we're having now are going to be completely irrelevant in 10 years. So what are we doing now to lay the foundation for at least eliminating, eliminating this one thing? And um, so when uh, you start looking at a lot of the, the conflicts that have risen out of borders, uh, people's idea of this is my territory, that is your territory, um, there seems to me that there might be an alternative solution here, which is what I'm experimenting with, which is the Rio Grande development, uh, uh, an agricultural zone uh, down on uh, the uh, U.S.-Mexico border, which pretty much is like the 510 miles of the 23rd district of Texas, along with uh, that, that is, uh, runs parallel with the Chihuahua border. Now, that whole area there is vast with resources. So when you start talking about the 23rd district, uh, the Permian Basin uh, being uh, militarized uh, and, and we look at the history of what has happened to water resources in areas of conflict, it destroys the water. And Texas, it, the, that area is only 2% water, but it also has a vast amount of resources for developing agriculture. That whole area along the, uh, the Texas border is prime for putting in a refugee uh, camp, an economic development zone. It would be fantastic for Mexico. It would be fantastic for that area of uh, Texas. And, but more importantly, uh, developing the 23rd district area and the Permian Basin that is in line with the Paris Agreement and the climate crisis that scientifically is stating that we have some serious problems going on. So if the Permian Basin falls to massive oil production, it's going to destroy a lot of that. And in case you guys don't know, uh, oil production companies need water for drilling. And so you're talking you're going to eat up all the water rather than grow agriculture. Uh, this is known for poisoning uh, the local areas, which will render perfectly good soil uh, not good for agriculture. And that area is, the Dell Valley is already a long-term uh, history of agricultural development. Now, my property that is in, at the heart of this um, case I have filed in the district court, we have been caught in the middle of this. And so as you guys listen to the story, you have to understand there's over a 20-year history. Again, parallel construction. This is all taking time to play out. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we have been in the middle of El Paso who wants... <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> El Paso who wants uh, the water and Del Valley who says no we need this water for our agriculture and then you have the Morrison property in the middle in Cornutus that says no we're not selling it we're conservationist and so we've been approached multiple times over the years we've had Department of Interior out there pulling up our stakes um, so there's foul play something's going on here and then I found out that even the neighbor um, between my family and the, the neighbor, between the two families, we owned 100% of uh, Cornutus. 
township. And just weeks after my dad's death, May Carson passed away as well. So there's some next level investigation that needs to happen. And um, I have some people out on the ground in Cornutus observing things. Um, it appears that there might be some witness harassment and um, uh, intimidation going on. Uh, there's certainly uh, blockading resources. Um, but most disturbing is the lack of response. And so I have to say, as we come up to an election uh, time, you really need to be paying attention to this story because it's statistically impossible. I'm the only one going through this. But um, also, you need to look at people who are not answering these calls. <coughs> Excuse me. I've there's a lot of dust in this uh, town, so I'm acclimating a little bit. <coughs> so um, you need to be looking at where you cast your vote. It is not okay for these people to take office and then not respond to the missing body of a veteran, uh, a journalist uh, who's an, an analyst who's been working for four years on the road. They, there has to be some response here. <coughs> And to me, I think this is um, not taking responsibility for their role and pretty much dumping everything on the responsibility of the district court. Um, I'm sending out a couple more uh, documents that I was advised by counsel to try and get passport, to try and get um, identification documents So uh, for employment. Um, I'm losing income daily uh, and just I'm just not willing to accept any more losses. Um, so right now, you guys, where I'm at is I'm waiting for my tour of the U.S.-Mexico border, which I will be doing some fantastic YouTube uh, content with that and some interviews. And uh, I'm waiting and hanging out for to see what's happening with the U.S. District Court. Um, and really looking for some support, you guys, from the veterans community as far as um, raising some awareness and advocacy for please helping me find my father's body. I can't even file the insurance, uh, life insurance claim uh, because there's no body. And so the insurance company is like, you know, we actually get this quite a lot. Um, anybody can come in here with a piece of paper, but unless you can definitively say you know where your father's body is at, this could be fraud. I'm like, well, fraud already happened with the family. Um, and so there's definitely some people who need to be brought in for questioning here. Um, and uh, assets. I mean, the entirety of my father's, right down to his identification, the contents of our house, um, wedding rings. Nobody at the hospital wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And I'm simply not going to allow my father's death and the, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna allow this to just be swept under the rug. So let's all pray that the U.S. District Court does well by this family and veterans' rights and journalist impunity and land rights and, more importantly, doing the right thing to end a lot of the hostilities that we're seeing towards the Mexican culture uh, because it does not matter what culture it is. Historically, the whole global community has agreed that locking human beings in cages and depriving them of basic needs and annexing uh, property, uh, land, territories is not okay. There's a lot about the situation that is simply not okay. And there are bodies stacking up. 
there are people who are responsible and the functioning part of the U.S. justice system and the international community, we all need to work together because this Permian Basin story ties in international players and it'll be in my book, um, but we need to be made aware of this um, to so we can see the signs of things like this happening, the way I was able to pace this for four years uh, and see how this was going to play out. Because again, I have a history with it. Um, but I think it's time for the people who are behind this to be brought in by proper uh, ethical law enforcement, uh, proper uh, lines of questioning need to occur. And we need to get some real answers here. Uh, because you're talking journalists from multiple countries uh, connected back. You're talking international players uh, from multiple countries. Uh, and you're talking about uh, a real problem happening in our leadership and without getting into great details that I haven't already covered. So that's just me documenting, guys. And uh, stand by for uh, a new update. I wish you all well. Take care.